I started flying this airplane uh, every weekend and it was a lot of fun for me. I flew that for 15 years, flying um, uh, 1500 hours, 1500 hours, oh. and all my pals, all my friends, uh, fighter pilots, thought that I was completely crazy. How is possible? You are flying the F-104 and then during the weekend you are flying. And the other guys, the ones that were flying in the small airfields, they thought I was crazy as well, because they were saying, how is possible you are <laughs> flying <laughs> the F-104 and then you want to fly at 70 kilometers per hour with uh, such a small plane. They didn't understand that to me, every way of flying is beautiful. All right, folks, welcome back to the Stone Collective episode number nine. I'm your host, Maxime Compagnon. If you're new to the show, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And if you are using especially Apple Podcasts, it would be very helpful if you could leave a review. It helps me make the show more visible, especially on that platform. And I'm always happy to discover these reviews. I've got a few now in uh, on Apple Podcast Canada, which is funny and at the same time really cool. So uh, thank you very much, guys, for that. There is something important I forgot to mention in our last podcast. We have, of course, a website, and I really recommend you to check it out because we uh, spent quite some time and work and efforts on it. And why? Because you will find uh, quite some contents. Uh, related to the podcast, uh, especially uh, pictures and videos. So don't hesitate. Also, we will grow it in the coming month and I will more talk about that in the, the uh, coming podcast. If you want to contact me, my email is still contact at thestallcollective.com and you can of course uh, check out our Instagram as well and shoot me a private message, it's still possible. Today we have a special, special, well I keep saying that at every show, but this time I really mean it and for two big reasons. The first one because we are finally in Italy and some of you know how much I love that country. And the second one because our dear friend Fabio Guerra is our guest today. Now Fabio has been and is still a huge inspiration for me, especially since I acquired my Slim Savage. And you will discover how colorful Fabio is. He is a retired Lieutenant Colonel from the Italian Air Force, having flown the mighty F-104 Starfighter. He is today a 777 captain flying for Alitalia, but more than that, he has been passionate about ultralight aircrafts and slow flying since the very beginning. And even more, he's been passionate about float planes and is flying his, his Savage on floats in the north of Italy every day. Fabio has also been deeply involved as a test pilot with Zlin Aviation and named his bird Explorer because of his need and passion for testing new equipment on our beloved airplanes. But 
he is saying everything better than everybody and I am borrowing his words everywhere flying is beautiful so enjoy the show Well, today we have a special. We are back at the Stoll Collective and we have a very, very special guest, at least for me. Uh, we are in Italy and we are together with Fabio Guerra. Hey Fabio, come stai? Very well, thank you. It's <laughs> really a pleasure to have you here in Italy, especially because you came uh, flying with your wonderful Savage. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I that's something I wanted to do for a very long time, and uh, and I'm glad we are not living so far away from each other. So uh, so I need two hours flight Great. to come over. So it's cool. Great. So, but now um, let's start. Um, so it's the usual question. So I would love to know. So where you are coming from? Uh, obviously, we are close to the Garda Lake, but if you are coming from that region from Italy and what did you do um, and how later how you came to backcountry aviation okay sounds great <laughs> so I am uh, from Verona mm -hmm. I was born in 1959 and since I was uh, a, a child Sometimes I was dreaming about flying in my room, from one room to another one, like uh, one and a half meter off the ground, uh, swimming very slowly in the air and moving from one room to another. And it was uh, such a wonderful sensation that I thought that maybe I would have liked to do that in my life. That didn't happen very soon, though, because the first time I flew... I was about 14 years old. It was a very short flight with uh, Piper Cub, by yeah. the way. Just a 15 minutes flight off the the uh, the coast uh, of South Italy. But I understood, of course, I was just a passenger. But I understood that, that flying uh, was a great thing for me. So what happened after that? Uh, when I was uh, attending the high schools, a lot of fighters jets were passing by the town of Verona. And uh, you know, the Starfighter, the F-104, uh, has a particular sound. And uh, to me, it was kind of a drug. As soon as I heard something that was barely looking like an F-104, the noise I had to smash on the window and trying to look at, at the shape, at the particular shape of this airplane that was passing by also over the town of Verona. And I literally felt in love with this airplane. Sometimes I didn't go to school just to stay from 8 o'clock to 1 o'clock in the afternoon near the gate where I could see these fighters uh, taking off and landing just a few meters above my head. And uh, I was uh, smelling the the fuel, the burned fuel, and uh, hearing the noise. And uh, to me, it was something that little by little was green up. And uh, I 
I thought it would have been almost impossible for me to mm -hmm. become one of those. I could look at these pilots coming off these uh, these uh, rockets because they were rockets. Mm -hmm. And I thought uh, it would have been impossible for me. I thought it was too difficult, too far difficult. But, you know, whenever you have a lot of passion, you have to try because uh, then uh, you might be successful. But really, I didn't, mm, I didn't trust myself too much at that time. So I finished the high school and I went through the um, physical examination that was quite hard for the Air Force Academy in Italy. Mm -hmm. lasted three days and they checked everything inside and outside of your body. <laughs> and I thought that uh, it was too difficult to pass it. But I did. Mm -hmm. I did. I was lucky. I did. I don't know. And uh, so mm, uh, the same September after the high school, I... Um, participate to um, to this game and I entered the Air Force Academy. Uh, this, uh, this school lasted four and a half years. That's At long. the beginning, after one month, uh, we started flew, uh, we started fly immediately with the CI Marchetti 260. Okay. It's uh, a training uh, uh, propeller aircraft, 260 horsepower. Kind of complicated for a guy that never saw an airplane before. Mm -hmm and uh, doing aerobatic stuff since the very first ride. Because the goal of the school was not to see if you were able in 19 flights to, to fly by yourself, but they wanted to check if you have the potential to fly on uh, much more performing machines. Mm. Uh, it was tough for me, also that one. Nothing came easily in my life. I thought that flying w could be something natural and very easy, it is not. It is not very easy. It's complicated. It's, it requires a lot of effort. Mm. But then it rewards you a lot once you are able to reach uh, your goal. I could never forget the first first time I flew by myself, like every pilot. Mm. No, <laughs> yeah. It's a very special day. Anyway, uh, let's talk about uh, what happened next because um, uh, my love for ultralights came very, very soon in my life. Because I mm, I attended the um, American the uh, American Air Force School in Texas. Uh, being a military oh. that 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 time uh, in Italy they had some problems with the new uh, training jet. There were just a few of them because they were changing from the MB three three two six to MB three three nine, which is the the, um, the airplane is using our aerobatic team, national aerobatic team. So there were few uh, instruction, uh, few instructions, uh, instructors, few airplanes, and so uh, the Italian Air Force decided to send some of us uh, abroad. So ten of us went to Canada, and twenty went to the United States. I was one of the lucky ones that went to the United States. I flew the T thirty seven and the T thirty eight, the wow. supersonic one. T-38 is the, the white rocket that <laughs> we were used to see next to the space shuttle when it was uh, landing uh, again. Yeah. A very nice airplane, Mach 1.6. Wow. It was a great airplane to fly with the two, two engines and two afterburners. Mm, it's very it slick. was quite an experience. Mm, and uh, at the end of it, uh, after the course, we attended um, the... Um, uh, it's called it gunnery. 
is like uh, uh, Top Gun School, not the one of the movie of with Tom yeah, Cruise, <laughs> because that was for the Navy. But we attended the one for the Air Force. That was in New Mexico, mm-hmm. and we flew with instructors uh, very capable. Most of them were coming from the uh, Vietnam experience. Because it was what end of the seventies. Right that now, was uh, 1982, 1983. Okay. Yeah. The nice thing of that period was that with another crazy friend of mine, an, an American, um, an American uh, trainee pilot like me, we decided to buy an ultralight at the same time, and we bought a, and used the Quicksilver MX. Oh, that's so cool! And we started flying. <laughs> By ourselves. <laughs> in the US. In, yeah, in the US, <laughs> in Texas. Before that, the very first flight I did on an ultralight was in a school that was nearby with a two-seater, a quick a silver MX mm-hmm. two-seater. And I was uh, kind of afraid because I was used to fly with uh, much more performing machines. And uh, so I, le- I was a little bit nervous to because I was thinking maybe these little machines are so light, they're not so safe. But then when I realized that the instructor was um, a Top Gun pilot coming from uh, the Navy and uh, he was uh, flying F-14 Stomcats mm-hmm. and he was doing the instructor just for the fun of it, then I thought, but, well, if a guy like this is doing this, then uh, it must be safe, it must be safe. And uh, it was, we didn't have a parachute, we didn't have anything and very little experience. I remember my first flight, I mean, my first taxi was a flight <laughs> because <laughs> I, I didn't want to take off. But I remember as soon as I gave power to this little thing, it was jumping in the air, it was windy also. And so I, I found myself on this uh, thing that I never, I never flew before. It was kind of an experience, but since that moment, you know, the Quicksilver is an open space uh, ultralight. You are really dealing with air and wind directly on your face, Mm. but I loved it. I loved it. So the uh, American guys, uh, the the other students uh, were thinking that I was completely crazy, me and the other American pilot, because we were already flying supersonic airplane during the week, and during the weekend (laughs) we were flying (laughs) at 50 kilometers per hour with something that could barely stay in the air. But I loved, I loved the idea since then, and since then I think I appreciated the slow speed, Mm -hmm. a speed in which you can see around and you can really enjoy the fact that you are flying. Probably everything started from there, from my very uh, first dreams when I was uh, swimming in the air in my from room, from one room to another, and then probably that kind of flight. I wanted to bring back in Italy when I finished the the course from the United States, but I asked my father. He told me, "Look, here in Italy there is uh, there are no laws to make these things fly, so you will be." A bandit, <laughs> if you're coming <laughs> with that machine. So I was really very sad, and we s- we we sold it in the States. When I came back, I was lucky. I was um, I was sent to Grosseto, where I flew the TF, the two-seater F-104. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I came back to Verona, where, uh, where I was living. So 
when I was 24 years old, I was the happiest guy in the world because finally, after so many years, I was able to fly the machine I've always been dreaming about. Yeah. And it's a, it's a sensation that, I don't know, I think I, w I was very lucky, very, very lucky. And uh, that doesn't mean that I, I, I was uh, a good pilot because I, I still had to learn, to learn and to make my experience. I was uh, just a baby as mm. a pilot. And the 104 is very handful. So, um, oh, well, the F-104 is, is demanding. It's very demanding. So we, we are on a stall podcast. So I have to ask you if you had rocket takeoff with the 104 because it's a kind of the stall takeoff for the <laughs> 104 right <laughs> well well the stall takeoff um, is um, if I remember well it's around uh, depending on the fuel and the tanks is, is around 220 knots wow and the landing too you cannot we, we, we could not exceed 239 knots that was the maximum mm -hmm. tire speed Anyway, because I was uh, still uh, thinking about the slow flying, mm -hmm. anyway, I was uh, looking for another ultralight mm -hmm. to, fi to fly slow, because I loved to fly slow as well, not only fast. And there were no ultralight regulation in Italy back then? So very it came in 1985. Okay. So from 1982 to 1985, there were, there were no regulations. In Italy, they started flying the first uh, machines, but they were kind of dangerous because they were built just by people that didn't have any idea of how an airplane should have been uh, built. And we had many crashes, I oh. think, in Europe all, all yeah. over, because um, any guy who wanted to fly could... could um, by a plan, build the plane and then and fly. fly and then mm. <laughs> <laughs> maybe <laughs> having some bad experience. <laughs> anyway, I was looking for uh, for a slow and fun uh, ultralight to fly. And uh, I remember I was drawing sometimes in my spare time a, a kind of a model that I, I always uh, wished to find in... Um, in any magazine, for example, no? And uh, one day it happened that uh, looking at a special uh, magazine, I saw the picture of the ultralight I've always been dreaming about. It was a seaplane, a Buccaneer. Uh -huh. It was a Buccaneer. Mm -hmm. It is like a boat with a high wing. The engine is on the top of the wing. It's a pushing... Um, is a pushing um, airplane. Uh, it was a tail dragger with a retractable landing gear. Okay. I dreamed about that plane, but I didn't have the money. <laughs> I ordered, ordered it in, um, in Florida, Orlando. And I remember that when the kit arrived in Italy... It's not the same comedy producing the series. Mm, I don't. I'm not sure. The owner was Angel Angel Matos. I remember he was Mexican. Mm -hmm. He was living in Orlando, and uh, I flew on that kind of uh, airplane, the Buccaneer, the ultralight, uh, through a friend of mine who was the uh, the dealer of this uh, airplane, and I loved it uh, right away. This must be mine. I said, <laughs> <laughs> but it was too expensive. Far too expensive for me. I was in the military, was not gaining that much money. Uh, 
Uh, I was lucky because uh, I been sent to the first uh, Gulf War, uh. and uh, I was deployed in Turkey as a defense of the Turkey Air Force with German guys and uh, still flying 104s. Uh, the German guys uh, were flying the Alpha jets. Ah, okay. And um, and we were deployed in the same base. So I remember I started the building of my Buccaneer. Mm -hmm. I rented a three-place, three-car garage, very big one, so I could build it inside. But I have to interrupt the construction because I went three months in Turkey. Then we were lucky; nothing happened to us. We were very lucky. We were not involved too much in the okay. in the the fighting from from Turkey. So when I came back, it was May 1991. I was finally able to finish my kit and to test it and to fly it. At the beginning, it was not so easy because there were some minor things to adjust. I don't want to 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 go deeper in the details but i started flying this airplane um, every weekend and it was a lot of fun for me i flew that for 15 years flying um, uh, 1500 hours 1500 hours oh. and all my pals all my friends uh, fighter pilots thought that I was completely crazy how is possible you are flying the f104 and then during the weekend you are flying but and the other guys, the one that were flying in the small airfields, mm -hmm. they thought I was crazy as well because they were saying, "How is possible you are flying <laughs> the F one hundred four, and then you want to fly at seventy kilometers per hour with uh, such a small plane?" They didn't understand that. To me, every way of flying is beautiful, and if you have yep. a chance to f to to bring somebody with you and to share your emotions with somebody else. With F-104, I could just share emotions with my colleagues, mm -hmm. but not with other pilot, pilot uh, just with the... Um, and so, no, I enjoyed it a lot. It was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. And then water, water has always been uh, something that I loved. But I understood from the very beginning that I like to fly slow. And so I wanted to fly slower. So at a certain point, I changed the shape of the wing of this Buccaneer. Just uh, getting the idea from another ultralight, was the Zenair, mm -hmm. uh, was built in uh, Canada. This uh, ultralight had these slats, fixed slats, and um, the... Uh, leading edge of the of the wing and I saw this uh, ultralight flying very very slow and I dreamed about having a very slow seaplane because the secret of enjoying an aircraft in the water is having a very short takeoff and a very uh, slow landing otherwise the impact with the waves with the water is very very hard so I decided I I um, uh, I looked for uh, three friends of mine, they were engineers, aeronautical engineers, mm -hmm. and say, okay, let's put this wing that works perfectly on that ultralight and let's put it on my Buccaneer. Ah, it's a very hard job. How can we do that? And so they were discussing all the time, all together. No, we need this. We need the, the polar design of the of the wing. Otherwise, we don't know. You might have too much down um, downwash on the, on the tail. You might be, you might lose the control of this machine, but I was really determined to go ahead. And so 
I just decided to go by myself because the three engineers could never get along together <laughs> with the same <laughs> idea. They were too much theoretical. No, we need. I needed something practical. So I just applied the uh, the the rules of thumb of the um, the Lear modelli of the small um, aircraft that you you fly mm -hmm. with the radio RCs RC models RC models mm -hmm. yeah so i decided myself where to put this wing making some calculations and uh, it worked it worked great and that bucaner became a stall aircraft was landing instead of 70 kilometers per hour on the water was landing at 45 wow and was very agile also because I had flaperons. I'm 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 uh, curious because I didn't look enough at it. Uh, the the deck angle, of course, if you land on the water, you don't want to have a high deck angle. It depends. So or it depends. How it depends on the configuration you you have. Mm -hmm. Like uh, in the Buccaneer, you have a boat. Ah, it's a boat. Yeah. It's a boat. It's not big deal if you touch first uh, with the not with the tail, but with the um, uh, the the most rear part of mm -hmm. the boat. It's mm -hmm. not a big deal. Okay. And also on the floaters of the Savage, it's ah. the same thing. Okay. Because. Uh, you can touch the water and then softly the airplane comes the floats get into the water it's not big deal okay it's um it's not a problem with this kind of configuration maybe with the bigger airplanes and heavier airplanes that could bend the floats themselves mm -hmm. because uh, they are because of the weight exactly mm -hmm. exactly so where are we now uh, the buccaneer yeah and so I was able to change uh, a normal buccaneer in a stall one. I even called Angel Matos, the the owner of the factory that was building the buccaneer, and I showed him some videos and some uh, pictures. He was astonished. He was, wow, that's great. I really like it, but I cannot afford to change uh, my factory, to change the wing and everything else. But he was really surprised of the performances of the buccaneer. And then I arrived to the Savage because uh, Pasquale Russo mm -hmm. uh, called me called me when uh, he built the very first one, Savage. He needed somebody who, who had the experience of uh, flying in general and of an ultralight uh, as well. And so he engaged me and uh, we started uh, working together on his project. Well, that's, that's, that's what, that's uh, 20 years ago already? 20 22? years ago, exactly. 2001, yeah. 2002? Yeah, 2000, year 2000. Wow. Yeah. And uh, since then, uh, it has always been, uh, uh, at the beginning, we were uh, discussing a lot because he wanted just a, a regular Piper Cub, mm -hmm. no? Just the idea of the very easy airplane uh, that, mm, that do that does just normal things. I was uh, <laughs> 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 I was pushing him every time. Pasquale, why don't we try the vortex generators? Why don't we try the bushes? Ma, I don't like too much the idea. You know, uh, I like the just the normal the normal Piper to 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 be similar to the j normal Piper car. But I, I was pushing always very hard in that direction. Well, the, we we still see it nowadays. I see in France there are many people buying a stock Savage Cub because they really want to have a traditional Piper Cub look. 
and it's fine it's yeah nice. sure like, uh, sure. they have a lot of fun between airfields it's true but you know the i think the real freedom that i was able to enjoy was to fly and to see a place which is not a runway mm-hmm. it's not a conventional runway it's a particular place that you like a lot and uh, having the idea to land there and and to take off again from that place and you are the only one who is able to do that because you have um, the right machine mm-hmm. to do that it's a joy for me it's a mm, a new discover every, every time I, I go flying. I, I always ask that, when do you remember when you, come, you came in contact for the first time uh, with uh, either pictures or videos from bush flying yeah. like, like our friends in Alaska do? Yeah, sure, sure. That was uh, the, the, the main idea. Uh, one time a friend of mine showed me, I don't remember how many years ago, that, that was more than 10 years, 10, 10, 12 years ago, I think, something like that. So it was in the 90s? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, 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 no. Sorry, no. sorry. The first uh, time you saw no, them? No, 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 no. I, 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 at the beginning, I started flying the, sa- the normal Savage was the year 2000. But then, little by little, 2005, 2006, then I bought a Savage for myself, mm-hmm. this one. The idea of getting this uh, machine m- m- more stall mm-hmm. came later. When I saw these uh, first uh, uh, instruction videos mm-hmm. of Alaskan instructors flying the Piper Cub and the Husky with these big tires. And when I saw them for the first time, I was really impressed. Okay, so you were already flying the Savage, the savage just the normal Savage. discovering bush flying. Exactly, like exactly. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> but I felt for myself that it was the right direction to go because the machine was, uh, the Savage was a good machine to improve uh, those performances. And I felt for the way I fly, that was the right direction to go. Fly as low as possible. That's as low uh, as possible. That's uh, what I tol- tell my friends all the time or people asking. Uh, actually, the plane only depends on what you want to do with it. So you look at what you want to exactly. fly, what you want to do, and then you choose your plane accordingly. Exactly. So uh, Sometimes so you, put the, you put down the big wheels just because it's, g- it's nice to see it. It's a nice <laughs> look, no? No, sometimes <laughs> it's yeah, true. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I want to land o- on a place like this one, which is uh, a not conventional airfield, for example. And uh, to do that in a safe way, I need the, the Alaskan bush with the 29, for example. Anyway, it was uh, a process that was going by itself little by little and uh, but the good motiva- good motivation was uh, the the training videos i saw the first time literally when i saw them i thought i i thought i was a pilot that knew some things around but now i understand that there is still a lot to learn how could this guy uh, skip on the water with the with the wheels and making these uh, water plane uh, maneuvers and then land on the stones on the on the beaches on on the snow i was attracted immediately by this process and i tried to influence pasquale at uh, the beginning he, he was not really going that direction but then little by little he approved 
the the vortex generators the the big wheels and uh, my savage became i i i gave a name to it the explorer because uh. because i tried everything on it the vortex generators the the big bush wheels the floaters because uh, the plane i bought was just a normal uh, yeah. the tail dragger and uh, different configuration of flaps uh, and uh, many many other things explorer because uh, that airplane wanted to explore anything that could f make you fly safer and slower and uh, in the most strange uh, airfield you mm -hmm. can imagine because that's the point well no airfield <laughs> no airfield no airfield no i call it airfield but it's, it's just uh, the wrong name for it well, wow, that's great. I'm. I'm. I, I assume the videos you're talking about might be the ones from Loni and Greg Miller or something like that. Like yeah, exactly. Yeah, long props, big props. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> My inspiration video. <laughs> My so inspiration I video. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Arturo told uh, me about them as well. So I think Arturo and Elisa they discovered this video at yeah. the same time. Probably but at the same time. Nobody you. could teach directly to me. So I listened and I saw this video many, many, many times and I started having an idea. So I started from the safest point possible to approach those kind of maneuvers. We have the Po River with sand um, and uh, sand rivers. Uh, um, Gravel bars. Coast, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And uh, that was the perfect spot where to uh, approach that kind of flight, little by little, in a safe way. Mm. And so I, I learned to do many things that they were able to do. And uh, I even did something that I never saw, like making turns on the water while you are skipping on, mm. the, on the water with the wheels on, on, the, on, the, on the water. Because I, I noticed that if the beach is uh, too short and there are obstacles let's see this is the river and that's the sand and if you want to land here but there are obstacles here and here it's almost impossible with um, with a slip to be able to land there no and so one way to be able to land there is coming from the water making a 180 degrees turn you make the landing on the water far away from the beach. You are in control, you maintain the right speed, and then you enter the beach not from uh, high altitude, but just at water level, and you get into the sand in that direction. No problem, and it's very safe. Mm, and you already slow down. Yeah, because actually in, tho in those long props, uh, one and two, I never saw an approach, a circular approach. I yeah. always saw them coming straight, you know, mm -hmm. maybe they are touching one wheel uh, after another, but they were making straight uh, approaches or they were making turns just before putting the wheels on the water. But um, very rarely, actually never, I saw them making a full turn on one wheel to, to get in, in a particular situation. Of course, you don't need to do that every time. But it's useful to know how to do that. Mm -hmm. 
I'm not there yet. But yeah, okay. <laughs> little by little, little by but little. But I, I just wanted to say because uh, I mean, we, we, you said you're from Verona, and I mean, you, you are living in that country, so you are very lucky to have to to live southeast of of uh, Lago exactly. di Garda, mm -hmm. which is one of the biggest, uh, the biggest lake in in Italy. Exactly. And uh, and also we are, like, what 30 minutes? No, maybe. 40 minutes away from the Po River yeah, in the south. Yeah, more or less. Yeah, exactly. So, and the mountains in the north. So, you have, you're yeah. right in the middle of a beautiful place. And the law, the law also is very important because yeah, it's, not, it's not officially forbidden, but it's not officially allowed. I mean, the Italian regulation says that you can land any place where the owner of the land give you the opportunity to land there. Yeah. But of course, when you are talking in the wild, nearby the Po River, who is the owner of the place? You cannot ask every time, right? No. So my technique is to, to get there and uh, try to not bother anybody. If there are some fishermen, if there are some people taking the sun, there are kilometers of uh, coast that you can go. So just keep the place where people are around. And for sure, even in full summertime, you will find a place where nobody is around. Yeah. You don't bother anybody. It's really difficult that somebody is going to argue True. about what you are doing. Yeah, even if uh, some persons are driving their big, big pickup trucks uh, on the yeah. gravel bar as well. Yeah, it's exactly. Like what's the one of our ultralight airplanes? No, our soft wheels, they don't, they don't do anything to the nature. Yeah, compared to a two-ton pickup truck. Exactly. Or, motor or uh, very noisy motorcycles. Mm. So uh, we, we went pretty fast to, to the Savage and uh, so... I assume you transition. I know you are uh, <coughs> a line pilot by Alitalia. Exactly. And I forgot to say that. So, so you transition. <laughs> when did you transition from the military to Alitalia? Uh, that was back in 1996. Ah, after okay. after 18 years in the Air Force, I I left the Air Force as a lieutenant colonel. Oh. And but I left it not because I didn't like my job anymore. For me, flying fighters was the best thing I could ever do. Mm -hmm. But the problem was that my career was uh, bringing me behind a desk. I, they wanted me to become a manager, like mm. uh, all guys coming from the Air Force Academy, and that was not for me. Mm. So I decided to start uh, flying desks <laughs> that were flying with a window still <laughs> in front. But to me, it was like passing from the Formula One uh, racing cars to buses. And you flew all your career, almost you flew the 104. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. For almost 12 years, mm -hmm. I flew the F-104, my lovely airplane. <laughs> they called it in the, in with, with many strange names, the Vidov Maker, the, the Flying Coffin, and so on. But telling you the truth, of course, uh, I needed to be very careful every each flight, really. No confidence with that airplane. I um, I always had to think that I was flying a very performing machine. Mm. But besides that, as long as the J79 engine was uh, pushing behind me, I was feeling safe. Uh, then I flew also the AMX that came uh, la oh, later. Okay. okay. 
but for me uh, Italian airplane yeah Italian and Brazilian airplane but it was not performing at all a brand new one airplane uh, sophisticated with a lot of avionics but nothing was to it do was it supersonic it's subsonic a subsonic yeah. only mm -hmm. yeah I hated that <laughs> airplane so the F-104 made me uh, join the Air Force the MX uh, pushed me away from the Air Force <laughs> <laughs> So I entered Alitalia. Mm. It was not my dream. That was not my dream, but that was a natural uh, following for a pilot that wants to fly. Mm. Uh, I flew for the first four or five years a small uh, twin engine, twin jet airplanes, like the Fokker 70, the McDonnell Douglas uh, MD82, and uh, the ATR, the turbo prop for two years and then finally I was able to fly long-range flights with the Boeing 767 mm -hmm. and uh, this Boeing uh, the 777 that I am actually flying which is a wonderful machine but it's a job you know yeah it's a job F to me the most important thing was to fly ultralights at the same time yeah. especially not not flying in the Air Force anymore because the flight uh, I mean the the way you are flying in the commercial, it's something to me extremely boring. Is instrumental flight, is uh, sitting there for hours. I flew 20 years of long-range flights, you know, except the emotion of making the takeoff two minutes and the landing uh, one and a half minute to make the landing by hands. Mm -hmm. It's not an emotion. It's a job. Okay, the emotion is flying fighter jets all. Ultralights yeah. as well, because I know it sounds strange, no. <laughs> but there is not so much difference between the freedom that a fighter plane gives to you and an ultralight. Or I mean, a glider. Exactly, absolutely, because you are still you are still free to turn left or right to climb or descend whenever you want to. Mm -hmm. On the commercial, you are a, a monkey. You're a monkey. They tell you. Uh, which taxiway you have to take, uh, which altitude you have to level off, and the routing. You become a pilot only when uh, there is an emergency mm -hmm. or there is uh, some uh, strange weather situation. Then you, you are a pilot again. Otherwise, you are a monkey which is just listening to the orders that they give you from the ground. Believe me. That's why I kept flying with the ultralight and I also became an instructor mm -hmm. on the Savage and uh, I made a lot, a lot of uh, very interesting experience. I think I have something like uh, more than 3,000 hours on the Savage wow. itself. You're probably uh, one of the top record. I don't know. I don't know. I, that's not uh, important. That's not the point. No, no. That's not the point. But anyway, I, you know. Craig is flying a lot on the service. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It's great. It's a lovely way of flying. Yeah. And it's not over because no. it's getting better and better. We will discover new things. That's I'm so very nice. enthusiastic. And I'm sure even with new kind of uh, of engines as well, because of course we have that, we have the... Um <coughs> the pressure and the knowledge that we should come out of uh, carbon based and fuel and uh, and i mean just just thinking okay electric is not the uh, always the answer mm -hmm. um but uh, i'm i'm a motorcycle engineer and 
I mean, I I love to ride electric bikes. They are so much fun. I mean, I personally, some people do, but I don't give a shit about the sound of the engine. So I'm just interested about the handling. So if the engine makes no noise, actually, I'm happy. Um, as soon as the handling is interesting, depends on what you ride. Okay. And then I'm just dreaming of a plane which is making... Well, not n- gliders make noise, but uh, like as less noise as a glider. But we would have the same capabilities uh, as we have with our Savage as well at the moment. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think in the future we might have some very interesting evolutions on the uh, on the motor. Absolutely. If a motor should be a combustion engine as a term in English. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> Engine, motor. <laughs> well, anyway. Anyway, just one little thing I want, I w- wish to add that I I flew the Savage a lot with the tail dragger, with the bush wheels, of course. Finally, I was able to convince Pasquale and now he loved the idea and he's uh, working in his factory for uh, the best stall as possible yeah. airplane. Of course, I turned. I was I, the very first one to change a Savage into a um, seaplane. Uh, yes, I really wanted to have you explaining that. Ah, okay. Because How did I do that? Uh, How did I do that? Yes, because there are not many Savage on floats in mm-hmm. Europe. I mean, there are obviously not many ultralight floats planes. It in was Europe. a bet. It was a bet, Maxime. It was a bet because I was coming from a seaplane, the Buccaneer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, uh, if you love uh, seaplane flying, um, you cannot uh, forget that. So I wanted to turn the Savage into a float plane. And uh, I asked Pasquale, Pasquale, let's do this float plane, please. He said, it's a wonderful idea. He loves uh, seaplanes as well. Uh, His first uh, uh, ultralight was um, a seaplane with the full Lotus floaters. Ah, you know, the inflatable ones, well, the yes, Canadian inflatable. Ones. Mm-hmm. So he was smiling at the idea, but he told me, I am too busy, I cannot follow that program. If you wish, at your own risk, I can try to help you, but you have to put the airplane, buy the floats, and I can help you with the engineer to put the things together, but it's your own business. I'm sorry, I, I wish I had time to do that, but it's impossible. So, because I'm stubborn, I, I, I bought the floats. At that time, Chip Erwin uh, was uh, working in uh, Czech Republic and he was building himself these uh, floaters that are were built on a Canadian project, mm-hmm. oh, the Zanair, I guess. But, you know, I, I bought these floats and uh, the engineer of Pasquale helped me out in uh, putting the things together. But nobody could bet if uh, the Savage would have been still a good airplane with uh, very heavy floats underneath. Mm. But I decided to take the risk and uh, I've been rewarded a lot because the airplane with floats flies beautifully. Wow. Flies beautifully because it's not... Uh, a bad compromise. The top speed is almost the same of a normal Savage. The slow speed in uh, ground effect when you are uh, landing on the water is even slower than a normal Savage, even if it is heavier. 
because the floats themselves at that high angle of attack that you can reach with the vortex generators, mm -hmm. they produce lift themselves. So the, the, the speed is even slower when you touch the, the water. Mm -hmm. Maneuverability has remained more or less the same. You have more stability. That is strange. Mm -hmm. More stability and more maneuverability. Anyway, th this compromise is wonderful. I loved it. Okay. But in Italy, the law about seaplanes is uh, very confusing. A lot of people told me it's a, it's a dream to have a savage with the floats underneath. But here in Italy, where can you fly legally with the, with the seaplane? I was able to find my area here on the Garda Lake because uh, working for the civilian protection mm -hmm. and uh, knowing people around. I've been flying since 1991 here on okay. the Lake of Garda. I have thousands and thousands of uh, landings on the water here. I never had a ticket for that. Of course, in full July and on August, yeah, when it's packed with people, I don't overfly over the beaches or I try not to bother anybody, you know. The sensation I have is that um, uh, it's not uh, allowed, but they close an eye on that. Mm -hmm. Anytime there is a big air show, like when there is the national aerobatic team, La La Pan, the Pan, uh, I have a friend of mine that always called me and uh, he involves me in this show oh. because he wants 10 minutes of a seaplane show because people are um, very happy to see a small airplane that is uh, maneuvering just in front of their eyes and then it stops on the water, which is something really different on the Lake of Guard. Yeah. So he called me every time. They pay me to, have, uh, to yeah, give them great. a little show. I'm <laughs> very heavy, uh, very happy. And so the police, the Coast Guard, Carabinieri, everybody see me. And they know you. <laughs> they know me. So I can't imagine that one day after the air show, they see me landing on the water and they try to catch me, yeah. this bandit, let's stop this guy. No, it doesn't happen. No. doesn't happen. But, but maybe if, if you have another airplane, you should have the same paint job on it. People <laughs> I, really think so. <laughs> I think so. No, the only thing would be a very clear law that says, okay, this uh, you can do it yes. and this cannot. Like in Germany, yeah, you like cannot. Germany, You're you sure cannot. you cannot? No. Ah. It's, uh, well, it's the same in France, actually. Like you are only allowed to land on a, on a s not certified, but declared okay. lake. But you have many places in, in France. Yeah, yeah there in are France. so many lakes and you are not allowed to land on them. Ah. No, no. It's uh, I'm sad for Germany because you know, like uh, Dornier yeah. is uh, so famous. Yeah, sure. And they only have, I think, in total, they have only three water sea bays in Germany and only two active. Hmm. And they are all in nor in the north of Germany. In Italy, we have only Como. We have only Como. There's only Como yeah, officially. La yeah, Lake Como. There is one school and one airfield for general aviation seaplanes. That's it. That's it. Yeah. They cannot come here on the Garda Lake. I can no. do it because it's an ultralight. By the way, at the beginning when I was flying the Buccaneer, it was much easier because the law was different. The okay. law was called a 106 uh, law. Mm -hmm. And uh, the ultralights were not called uh, airplanes, but they were, well, they were called uh, like sportive uh, uh, means, sporting yeah. sportive machines. Mm -hmm. So, because the... 
uh, it was forbidden to land with the with the general uh, aviation aircraft on the water so having a sportive a sport equipment equipment mm-hmm. was not an airplane mm. but then they changed the law again and we are airplane now uh, even uh, b- because you have the basico in in italy f- yes for the ultra Avanzato and then Avanzato. advanced yes so so but they are both considered as not 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 certified airplanes of course but now they they are not sport equipment anymore uh, no no they are st- <laughs> mm. uh, since uh, 10 years i think uh, we are not sportive uh, crafts ah, anymore okay. okay but uh, uh, we we are not completely under the regulation of the general aviation mm. hopefully because that's very complicated especially yeah. for maintenance uh, and stuff like that but we are considered uh, general aviation aircraft even if we are ultralights the advanced or the basic doesn't make any difference okay. with the advanced is the only one that you can cross a controlled area mm-hmm. so you have you need to have the transponder and so on i think it's the same in germany or in french uh well not completely not completely no they are different. N- you, yeah you don't have these two categories ah. like basico advanzato no but uh, i mean I, I i fly i don't have a transponder in my plane so but i'm i can request to enter a delta ctr uh and it's if it's not a tmz so exactly. i can ask the permission they yeah. can refuse but it's not forbidden for me to fly inside exactly. of course if it's a tmz i have to have one i need to have sure. one but so so when i fly everywhere in europe without transponder it's not a big deal we have an engine so <laughs> <laughs> so you can fly around or below that's so great yeah. and um the uh you know like people many people they think like oh italy it's true you're not allowed to fly above 1000 feet agl mm-hmm. This changed. It's not like that anymore, right? Uh, oh, you don't remember? If you are advanced, if you are flying on, if you are an, uh, if you are flying on an advanced ultralight, and you have an advanced license, mm-hmm. you can ask the control and you can climb higher. Other than that, it's still one thousand AGL. AGL. Ah, really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. But it's still five before it was five hundred in the yeah. in the weekdays yes. and uh, f- one thousand only during the weekend. But now it's like because the the Sera rules from European Union from EASA says five hundred feet AGL is the deck. Exactly because so there are the drones basically be, yeah. be below that. So as a basico, basically you are only allowed to fly From between five hundred and thousand feet exactly. AGL. Exactly, and so it's very dangerous <laughs> <laughs> for me. There are collisions because everybody is flying at the same altitude. Yeah. Okay. Uh, wh- what about the rivers, the the poor river? So with with your seaplane. Yeah, with the seaplane because I go there very quite often. Uh-huh. Uh, of course, I, I mean it's not a lake. You don't have that much many that many people on the lake, so so you have of course some fishermen. But mm-hmm. but uh, do you feel that it's a little bit more on a uh, even more tolerated? Yeah, I, I believe I believe yes, mm. I believe yes, and uh, it's a good school also the Po River because. Uh, it keeps changing uh, direction you can always find a place where you can land with your um, head uh, on the nose mm-hmm. we've had wind add wind all the times 
and uh, you can learn uh, different techniques there there is a lot to to talk about float planes but mm, it's very soft to land on flat water but it's very difficult to get out mm. of flat water but there are some different techniques of course to to get uh, to get out better and uh, this my seaplane that the floaters have they are amphibious that makes the big difference mm. because i can land uh, I, I, I can take off from this grass strip, go on fly, and go in the water with the landing gear r retracted. And then if the shape uh, of the beach is such, I can also lower the gear again when I'm floating at a very slow speed and climb at least with the one float of the beach. Mm. So the airplane automatically stops there and it's in a safe situation. Uh, but of course, with the small wheels I have, uh, it's not possible to do much more than that. Also, the runways need to be quite flat. Mm. I mean, not bumpy. I, I remember an old video from Massimo, where uh, an old or maybe it's a new one, where you were you met at the Po River and and at one moment you were stuck. Oh yes, your, your wheels were down and exactly. then you had to exactly. go that happens. Way. That happens. That happens. Uh, if you have a sandbar, uh, it's better to approach and stop on the uh, on the sand uh, directly without uh, without wheels, mm -hmm. with the wheels retracted. But if you have a compacted uh, sand, very compacted or um, uh, gravel, yep. small small, mm -hmm. small size gravel, you can uh, even taxi slowly. On the on Ta the beach, taxi up on the beach. Exactly. Did you because we are not so far away from the Adriatic? Yeah. Did you have already the possibility to land? On yeah, on sure. The especially the during the winter time. Summer time uh, is is really a mess. People. It's a mess. But mm, during the winter time, yeah, quite often it's nice. Because even flying to Croatia. Yeah, I never went there. I, I always wanted to go there. Sooner or later, I will. Oh, that's something you know, yeah. have so many islands and and yeah. I don't know. Do you know the regulation about not flying much. with the seaplane in Croatia? Not much, not much. I haven't studied yet, but I think is uh, is uh, is better than in Italy. Yes, I think so too. Especially if you land on the sea, yeah, and then then you approach to the beach like a normal mm. boat. Mm. Yeah, I'm sure. And that's why I'm working just to yes. close the... So we will close the discussion, especially on that technical, very interesting point. So um, I have to I have to take, of course, I have to apologize. I don't know all my questions by heart. But uh, so we are coming to the... Uh, normally it's called the Bolter questionnaire. Ah. So, but... Uh, um, Daniel Bolton is making a very nice podcast about float planes. Ah, He's an Australian guy and uh, and and he has um the splash and dash questionnaire. So today because you are obviously Okay, <laughs> okay, go, ahead, go ahead. I'm ready for it. I'm ready. I have, I have to change the name to what he's doing and I have to call it the splash and dash questionnaire anyway because <laughs> <laughs> I hope so to be able to answer. Yeah, yeah. I hope. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure it's not a problem. So we will keep the uh let's say the question bush wheels, skis or floats for the end of the mm -hmm. questionnaire. Okay. And um, so the first question normally is always if you prefer to fly uh, a tail dragger or a nose dragger. 
tail dragger. If I am landing on the ground, tail dragger for sure. No, no doubt about that. Mm -hmm. If I'm landing on the ground, and um, do you prefer if you are on bush wheels? Mm -hmm. Do you prefer to land on gravel bars or on a, a, a mountain slope? Huh. Uh, it depends. It depends. There are many variables. It's not mm -hmm. an easy question. There are many, many variables. But uh, I would say it's easier to land on a gravel ball, gravel bar, mm -hmm. because uh, you can make several passage passages from different point of view, and uh, you can uh, tell right away if you can safely land on that spot or not. Uh, uphill or downhill, you have to make uh, different considerations which are uh, more critical, I think. It's more demanding, especially if the percentage of, uh, of uh, uphill is uh, quite important. You know Battista Ferrari? Mm, I heard he of him. He has a white zener. Yeah, I heard of he him. has a very demanding, uh, beautiful private strip in the mountains. And uh, really, yeah, you should try to visit him. Yeah, so um, I think, in my opinion, it's probably one of the most beautiful, or the most beautiful private mountain strip really? in Italy, and probably in Europe. It's just crazy. So, and he has his Zenea under his uh, chalet, under uh, his yeah. house in mm -hmm. the garage. Wow. And uh, it's pretty nice. Lucky man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what is your fa the, yeah, your favorite plane you flew so far until now? Let's let's stay. I mean, of course, w we know you love the 104 Starfighter, but mm -hmm. uh, we are talking about bush planes, so... Uh, well, I I only had the chance to fly once on the Norden, mm -hmm. which has a tremendous potential, but uh, it was necessary to make some uh, um, some more developments. Mm -hmm. And the machine I flew more comfortable in slow flying was the shock cab. Okay. Yeah. The, the the normal the normal shock cab yeah shock or, or the light or as the well lightest. yeah mm -hmm. because it gave me uh, to me that was the first machine that changed completely my idea about aerodynamics I never thought I would have been able to fly at such high angle of uh, high angle of attack at such a very slow speed I have a video in which I'm flying backwards. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's so it's such a stubborn machine that uh, really surprised me when little by little I was, was able to land uh, also a 500, 600 feet a minute uh, rate of descent without any damage in, in a soft way. I thought I was about to destroy the, mm -hmm. the airplane, but it was like seeing a cat that is jumping out of the roof, you know? Mm -hmm very soft i was really amazed and i am still amazed so far is the airplane that under the stall point of view mm, has surprised me the most mm. on the handling and the slow yeah speed exactly yeah. Yeah. great um do you have a specific mishap you had in 
flying off airport in the back country, uh. either on floats or on bush wheels. Well, it can be something of course, funny, shit yeah? happens. No, you know, every time uh, you you go, it's an adventure. Every time <laughs> you have yeah. always to think that something can go wrong. Uh, that something, to me, uh, so far has been just little things like uh, prope bro propeller broken. But I was with some other friends, and another guy came uh, back with another with another uh, propeller. I I I broke it with the engine that was uh, really at maybe less than 1000 rpm it was really <laughs> going slowly uh -huh. with the nose down like no 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 please please and i, I broke just one uh, one blade, blade. Oh, okay but that happens and uh, i broke several times the tail uh, the um, the shock the absorber tail yeah mm -hmm. the tail spring then we uh, we decided to make it uh, more efficient and more robust mm -hmm. and so far even landing in very hard places mm -hmm. it has always been uh, working fine I'm, I'm very happy about the combination uh, baby bush wheel yeah. and T3 tail yeah. wheel uh, it's a very nice combination it's very nice works on other roads. than that uh, to me no no I've been I always try to be very very careful maybe you see some video and you think that I'm a little bit crazy, mm. but I, I, I can I can tell you that before doing things, uh, I think uh, two, three, four, five times before uh, mm. deciding that it's a goal because I need to be sure that I'm not going to hurt myself, anybody else around and the aircraft. Yeah. So I try. Of course, it's always a little bit more dangerous than landing on a normal runway. Uh, that's true you can find some surprises coming off the ground if you mm, the best thing is always to be on the place walk around and look at the strip you have decided to Before. land on mm -hmm. and that's the best thing but sometimes you cannot do it no, it's so you have to <laughs> calculate the risk and to accept it sometimes but I accept it only when I'm fairly sure that you can do it mm. Well, if I need two and a half hours to fly from my place to the Po River, uh, I don't want to know <laughs> how many hours I will need to take my car Oof. from my place to the Po River, check some spots, and then go back yeah. home. I would need Tom Huber two has days. several adventures about that. Uh, really? On the Tagliavento. <laughs> yeah. If you have a chance, ask Tom Huber. Yeah, we ask him again. I know he got. St uh, he flipped over yeah. one time. I yeah. Think. Over the Tagliavento River. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In the stream of the river with the yes, nose point the down. Yeah. Wow. wow, that was a bad one. Yeah, he was lucky yeah. he has a truck uh, mm -hmm. available to yes. to bring back the. Yeah, but anyway, it's good that he didn't get hurt. Yeah. yeah. Um, is there? I mean, you flew many, but is there? Do you have a dream plane you would like to fly? And you didn't have the possibility to to fly yet. In general, or always talking about ultralights. Well, I, I would say bo both. You, you please answer both, mm. ultralights and general. Well, I've always been attracted by World War Two mm -hmm. fighter airplanes and uh, the Spitfire, the Messerschmitt uh, 109 has always been my dream because mm -hmm. I think uh, they give you a sensation which is absolutely outstanding. But um, other than that, really, uh, there are no other airplanes that uh, I'm really in love, that I really, 
I really wish to to fly because I think I've been quite lucky. I, I've been flying on different several kind of airplanes, and uh, I'm quite satisfied so far. Eh? So I think far. you explored the complete range. I didn't ask you. Did you have the possibility to fly Mac two? Yeah, always. always. Uh, yeah, every check flight was a Mac two. Wow. Every check flight, but it's no big deal really yeah. because if you you do that at a very high altitude. Mm. Uh, the the flight lasts only 25-30 minutes. From here, Verona, we're flying towards uh, Cervia, which is uh, nearby the Adriatic Sea. Mm -hmm. And we were making the supersonic uh, run on the way back here. 5.5 5 5 minutes and 30 seconds, usually. <laughs> from there, starting <laughs> from Mach 1 to Mach 2. Okay. And then uh, you, could you could choose if you wanted to just... Um, take uh, the um, aero brakes out and trying to slow down the ba the beast <laughs> because <laughs> it was a beast yeah or i did it a couple of times and i decided to to climb reduce the engine and climb and i almost reached 60000 feet okay on, on a normal day like this one and i was surprised to see how dark blue can get the sky at Is that the altitude you, you yeah that's m that's my uh, highest altitude 59000 feet so uh, yeah, above without pressure suit, it's not uh, a good idea. E even at that altitude, if the engine quits, uh, mm, you don't have too many choices to survive because at 37 degrees, uh, your blood goes in uh, yes. in bubbles. Mm -hmm. Anyway, mm, nah, no, really. Of course, uh, there are other airplanes I, I, I wish to fly, but uh, so far there is not something. The Canadair, maybe. The Canadair. Yeah. Uh, I've been a, a bomber pilot and huh? bomber, bomber. Uh, yeah, yeah, bombs. yeah. Oh, wait, you mean, you when mean I was in the Air Force, no? In the Air Force. In the Air Force. Because you talk about Canada. And the Canada is a kind bombing. of fighting airplane yes. where you fight the fire and use water bombs. Yeah. And you have to use a very interesting techniques, especially in the mountains, when if you want to drop the water in the right spot and you have to be very precise and it's quite uh, critical. Mm. Uh, to me, that would, be, that would have been uh, the, the best job after the Air Force, not flying the bus. Yeah. Mm, I agree. Mm. I'm lucky when I'm, I'm work, uh, working in the south of France, we are very close to to these guys yeah so i so we see a lot of them flying around so it's a seaplane to marseille it's a seaplane sea it's a fighter plane under my yeah. point of very stubborn very robust very strong twin turbo it's yeah i love it and it's I nice it looks cool yeah okay okay so, uh, we have to yeah yeah you, you have to leave soon yeah uh, is there one dream location you would like to fly with a bush plane in the world you've not been yet <laughs> Many, <laughs> <laughs> too many, <laughs> too many, too many, really. Um, but I, I must say that in Italy we are kind of lucky because we, we have a landscape which is uh, so different from high mountains to wonderful uh, uh, beaches. Uh, mm, I, I couldn't ask for more. Of course, Alaska, uh, South Africa. Australia, there are many, many, um, Brazil itself, mm -hmm. Argentina, there are many places where I'd like to to do an activity like that. There is no limit to the fantasy for that. Maybe we should try to fly to Oshkosh together. Uh, that would be nice. Two planes? Two planes. 
little by little, step by yeah. step. No? Yeah, over Why Iceland not? and Greenland. There is one place I'd like to um, to fly, and uh, it would be to follow the Trans-Siberian Railroad ah, yes. all the way to the um, to the Yellow Sea. Mm-hmm. But maybe two or three guys with uh, very stubborn yeah. bush planes. And in one of my uh, last podcast, I think number six, uh, Sam Rutherford is. Uh, English and Belgium guy who's organizing, you know, the um, organized this tall competition on the beach in Belgium in 2018, mm. and he's m- organizing a s- let's say a stall competition in south of Greenland. So ah. you know the Greenland. Yeah, see, see, I've heard of it. I've heard of it. Very nice lad, and um, and he explained because he's flying helicopters, and he was in Russia uh, a few years ago, and he said they they changed the regulation. F- a few years ago so you don't need a navigator anymore ah. so a Russian guy sitting next to you to be allowed to fly in Russia so now it's possible for us as pilot in command alone in our plane with a permit of course to fly it's possible to fly in Russia you really? don't need yeah I didn't know that so yeah, yeah that's it's very it's interesting. getting better so and I, I hope like you I'm sure Russia has Thousands and thousands of possibilities. It's uh, that's one country. trip I'd like to do, mm. but not with uh, hurry, you know. No, <laughs> when, when I will be retired. No, no hurry, no. very slow. Okay, the weather is bad. Okay, let's wait one day, two days, one week. Who cares? Yeah, whenever. Yeah, I agree. So, and now I have to ask you the very unfortunately last question yes, because we have to stop. So the last question is: floats, bush wheels, or skis? But I'm I'm sure you have a combination project. <laughs> 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 well, uh, flying with uh, with the Alaskan bush wheels give you the opportunity to land everywhere. Mm. But you cannot go in the water, which is my first love. Flying with floaters, you can go in the water. It's fun. You can also reach uh, and stop by in certain places where the beach uh, is uh, uh, is perfect to do that. But finding a combination of only one machine that can be a bush plane and uh, a floater plane at the same time, uh, they didn't invent it yet, as far as I know. So I'm working since six years now Mm -hmm. on this project. It's going very slow because I'm working and my friends are working just uh, for hobby, not because it's our job. But um, I really hope to be able to finish the project, which is already a 75% of the okay. construction. First of all, to understand if the idea is good. Having a plane that can land almost everywhere, like here, but it's a floater plane, a seaplane. And of course, you can go in the water, and at the same time, you can also climb on the, on the beach, even if it is not perfect. Or maybe decide if you want to take off from the gravel bar, with the wheels, with big wheels, and with shock absorbers also. It's uh, it's an idea. It's a bet. It's another bet. It's a bet of my life. We will see uh, <laughs> if uh, I will be able to to test it first of all, mm-hmm. and you will be the first one to to know that if I yeah. if I will ever be able to finish the project. Yeah, I I really want to visit you when you will start to fly with it because uh, we should go head to the Po River and uh, and see that. So it's um 
it's a st uh, not straight float but two floaters concept like you already have exactly on your exactly the only difference is that um, the front wheels and the main wheels are much bigger wheels like uh, tundra wheel even bigger than the tundra wheel the main wheel and with shock absorber because uh, right now the floaters all the floaters this of the seaplane most of them they don't have shock absorbers Whoa. so you have to land very smoothly every time mm -hmm. because there are no shock absorbers and the wheels are very small. You have to be very careful when you land uh, on the grass with the seaplane. Mm -hmm. uh, that kind of floaters should help uh, even the brand new pilot mm -hmm. to, to land uh, fairly safe uh, almost everywhere. That's my goal. That's great. Uh, we will see. Maybe with these kinds of floaters, we would see a change in the regulation to fly more float planes in Europe. I hope so. Who knows? We can dream. We can dream. Yeah. Oh, keep dreaming. Yeah, keep dreaming and realize them. All right. Or work for it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maxime, <laughs> it has been a pleasure. Yes. Fabio, I hope this conversation so will be useful to anyone. And uh, we will see. Thank yeah. you for your attention. Grazie mille. Okay. Ciao. Thank you. Ciao. That's a wrap! I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. If you want to see more about Fabio, especially some videos, I highly recommend you to check out the Bush Pilot series on Vimeo created and filmed by our friend Massimo Uberti, who did that already 10 years ago. He has been a big inspiration for me and I really recommend you to check out almost all his videos. I will of course put the link on our website and in the podcast description. Now uh, the book recommendation. Today uh, I highly recommend you to read Voyage of the Southern Sun, an amazing solo journey around the world by Michael Smith. Michael Smith is an Australian lad who flew a VFR, actually the first VFR solo circumvination in a flying boat, a series. So I really enjoyed that book, so I really recommend you to read it. And then our third point is a also a recommendation, this time about a podcast. You should definitely listen to Daniel Bolton's podcast On The Step with that Malad guy. It is definitely the best podcast about float planes out there. So really check it out. Now I will have to start to work on the next podcast. It is not really defined yet, uh, but I already have some guests who said yes. So I'm really looking forward to recording this podcast with them. Now, uh, the COVID situation is not that easy at the moment, but I still wish you a very happy spring and I can't wait to fly again in my beloved Savage. Take care and bye-bye. Uh, Explorer because uh, that airplane wanted to explore anything that could make you fly safer and slower.
and in the most strange uh, airfield you mm -hmm. can imagine because that's the point well no airfield <laughs> no airfield no airfield 